Good morning. My name, if uh, my name's Tim, yeah, if you're newer with us, I get to teach here, semi-regular basis, and uh, sure, count it a privilege to get to do so. How fun is it that there's fresh snow on the ground? I just think that's so cool. I know that some people are like, I don't like driving in the snow, but I, I love it. It's so cool. Um, yeah, so that's really fun. Uh, so we've been in a series of teaching uh, this season, this season called Advent leading up to Christmas, and we've been looking... Uh, at this person, uh, Mary, uh, Jesus' mother. And we've been looking at, I mean, in a lot of ways, we've just been asking the question, who's the real Mary? Uh, Not not Mary of Hallmark cards, but the real Mary, this teenage rural peasant girl. And uh, what did it mean that she was going to give birth to Messiah? And today's actually the last teaching in the series, so we'll we'll do that. And then uh, coming Sunday, of course, celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus on Christmas morning. So, uh, to, to begin today, a couple questions for us. So, uh, first question. Does anyone know who authored the first Christmas carol? Give you a hint. It was a young teenage woman. All right, next question. Who was the first Christian theologian? The first person to reflect biblically, to reflect theologically on, on uh, the, the birth of Jesus. Oh, Mary, our little drummer boy. Mary, yeah, this, this rural peasant girl from 2,000 years ago. Okay, next question. Who wrote Mary? Mary. Oh, you're cheating. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, who wrote a song about the birth of Jesus that got banned by multiple governments in the 19th and 20th century? Mary, yes. Last question: Who, what in the in, in the New Testament, what woman has the single largest discourse, the single longest block of speaking, uh, more than any other woman in the entire New Testament? Mary, yes. This teenage girl, rural, uneducated peasant girl, and she sings this song, the first song about the birth of Jesus, the first song to reflect on what does it mean that the Messiah is being born here and now. And it's this song that we're going to look at together this morning. This song, throughout history, you might have heard of it as the Magnificat. Is that a, anybody heard that term before, Magnificat? Uh, basically, uh, um, in the, you know, the Middle Ages, the scriptures got translated into Latin, and the first word of the song in Latin is Magnificat. It means magnify or glorify. And, uh, but if, if you're going to write one song, one song that will be remembered for history, don't you want to be known by something like Magnificat? I feel like it's pretty good. Um, so we're going to look at, if you want to follow along, this song is in Luke chapter 1. Uh, in your Bible, Luke is after Mark, is before John. It's way to the right, uh, one of the four ancient biographies of Jesus. And we'll be in Luke chapter 1, beginning in v- verse 46. And what uh, kind of the, the, the who and where we are right now. So last week, Carla talked about how uh, after, after Mary uh, heard from the, the messenger from God, Gabriel, that she was going to uh, be pregnant with the Messiah... Mary went and visited her relative Elizabeth, 
who was also pregnant with this forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. And they had this conversation last week. Carla talked about how Elizabeth spoke these words of kindness, these words of honor over Mary. And then what happened, we didn't get to this last week, is that Mary then breaks out into this this song. And we are going to look now at this song that Mary composed and sung in that moment. And so beginning in 46, Luke chapter 1, 46, this is what Mary sung. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The song of Mary and maybe you're wondering, you know, it doesn't say, Mary, it says Mary said, it doesn't say Mary's song. But, but as we look, it, 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 as we look at the structure and the language, it's clearly poetic. Uh, it, it, it reminds us of a lot of the other songs in the Hebrew scriptures, the Psalms. So it's either a song or at least it's like this poetic spoken word piece that Mary breaks out in. But, but, it's, this, but, I, but it's this poetry, this song that Mary has reflected on, composed, and now in this moment was Elizabeth, with Elizabeth, she breaks out into this song. And I just want to walk through it together with you this morning because I think it is, it, it's, it's very profound. Um, in fact, as I, as I looked at this more, I mean, we really could spend weeks digging into this. But for this year, we'll settle on this morning. So uh, the first question that I want to talk about is, what is this song? Kind of what is it all about in the first place? And I think that's answered in the first couple lines that Mary sings. What is this song? And the what, I think, is right here. It says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In Hebrew poetry, Hebrew songwriting, often you would not rhyme sounds, but you would rhyme ideas. And so there's this parallelism. My soul glorifies, my spirit rejoices that for, for Mary, it's this, it's this song of, of, of worship, of glorifying God, but that means joy. That joy is this, it's this key component of what it even means to honor God. And in fact, it's, so it's this, it's this new song of joy that Mary has composed. Uh, and, and, and I think she's pulling on this deep biblical tradition when she does this. See, in the Hebrew scriptures, when God steps into history, when God acts in someone's life in a powerful way, we see this pattern of people responding by singing a new song. So in the, what is the paradigmatic rescue event of the Hebrew scriptures? What is it? 
Exodus. That is that. The, what is the picture? This is what it looks like when God rescues people. The Exodus. So God, he rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. He takes them through the Red Sea. The Pharaoh's armies are drowned in the Red Sea. They, they come out. They step on dry land on the other side. And what's the first thing they do when they step out onto the dry land? They sing a song. Moses sings a song and Miriam sings a song. They sing a new song in response to being rescued. Later on in the book of Judges, uh, the, the people of God are in the land. And uh, there's these, these, these kind of raiders from the north. We're told they come down with iron chariots and they, they kind of take over the land. And, uh, and God raises up these two heroes, Deborah and Barak. And, and they just have these, these kind of these you know, farmers from the hills, and they come down and they attack this army with the iron chariots. And against all odds, God gives them victory. They win this victory over these invaders with the iron chariots. And what's the first thing Deborah does after God gives them this victory? What does she do? She sings a song. That over and over in Scripture, we see this pattern. When God steps in to rescue people, when God steps in in a mighty way, the response people have is to sing a new song. And so Mary, she... God says, Mary, through you, the Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah is coming. And what's her response? She sings a new song of joy. It just bursts out of her. It reminds me, in, uh, a lot of you know, in, in our family, we have some daughters. Four daughters, if you're counting. Uh, four girls. And, and in our family, one of the ways... You could, you could measure the emotional thermostat of our house is the amount of singing you hear coming from other rooms. That it's just when, they're, when things are good, when life is good, they're, just, they're playing with their dolls, they're playing with their toys, they're just singing to themselves, they're humming to themselves. You just hear it, you just hear it coming from other rooms. They're just singing. And, and, and vice versa, when they're tense, when they're angry, when they're tired, when they're upset, it's just quiet. Or sometimes quiet means something's really gone wrong. Um, but usually, you, usually it's like, it's like this, this singing just comes out when they're, when they're feeling good about life. Singing just comes out of them. Mary, God steps into Mary's life and says, the Messiah is coming through you. And her response is to sing a new song of joy. That's what this is that we're reading. It's Mary's new song of joy. So that's the what. That's what this whole thing is. Now the next question I want to look at is why. Why does Mary sing this new song of joy? And we see that uh, in the next couple of verses. So picking up in verse 48. Mary says, for, and that's so for, or, or because, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For, because... The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And so Mary's saying the the reason she sings this new song of joy is that, that, that God has seen her in her humble state and he's done this mighty thing for her. And this mighty thing will result in mercy extending to all future generations. And so what is this? It is not simply the fact that she's pregnant. It's not, it's not like Mary was just sitting around thinking, you know, I'm 13, 14. I just would love to get pregnant before I get married to anybody. That No, it's not that. That is not the wish that, that God has granted. What she, what she is rejoicing, the why of this 
is that the Messiah has come. She is part of a people who have been longing for this Messiah. She's been longing for them. And here, God sees her, this this uneducated peasant, rural teenage girl, and she gets to be the one through whom the Messiah is born into the world. This one, through the Messiah, mercy will extend from generation to generation to generation to generation. She says, the Messiah has come. That is the mighty thing. And she gets to be the one who brings the Messiah into the world. Her people have been longing for this. When have, you, when have you longed for something? When have you long, ached for something? Her people longed for the Messiah. When, when Christy, my wife, was pregnant with our, uh, our third child in the first trimester, she was having intense abdominal pain, and they couldn't diagnose it. Went on for about a month, and uh, she was. It was just debilitating. It kept her in bed, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And I, and I longed, I longed for this pain to be over, and I longed for the life that she carried in her to be safe. And finally, they they figured it out, and she rushed in. They had to have emergency surgery, and 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 the pain went away, and this little baby that was in her was okay. But it was the season of just longing. When have you longed for something? The people, the Jewish people that that Mary was part of, they longed for the Messiah to come and bring forgiveness, to come and bring a kingdom of justice, to come and right the wrongs. They longed for this king to come, this Messiah to come. They ached for it, to be set free. And when God says to Mary, he says, the Messiah is coming through you. The Messiah will be born through you. She she sings a new song of joy. The why is that the Messiah has arrived and she gets to be the one to bring the Messiah. And the what is that in response to this news, she sings a new song of joy. So the what, it's a song of joy. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. She gets to bring the Messiah into the world. And then next, we're going to look at this next section of the song. And this is what happens when the Messiah shows up. And I would call this the great reversal. Verses 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is is often, when when people look at this song, this is often the hardest part of the song to wrestle with. Kind of the most difficult part of the song, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, kind of just at a basic level, it's in the past tense. Mary is, she's singing about the Messiah who has yet to be born, who is on his way. And then, but then she talks about it in this past tense. And so it's, it's interesting. Is she, is she talking about things that God did a long time ago? Well, no, she's talking about the Messiah who's going to come. Well, then why doesn't she say, he will do this? He will do that. He will do this. It appears 
It appears that for Mary, the reason she uses the past tense is that once God says the Messiah is, it will arrive through you, for her, it's as good as done. The things the Messiah will accomplish are as good as completed. That she so trusts in the promise of what the Messiah will bring, it is as good as finished. And she sings about it in the past tense. So if that's, okay, the first kind of, this, the reason it's hard is the past tense is because Mary believes it's as good as done. Well, the second hard part that people struggle with is, okay, but the, there's still this question of, what exactly is the Messiah doing? He's, he's tearing down the rulers and the proud and the wealthy. I mean, it, it raises some questions, right? Is Jesus just kind of this class warfare? Is that what he's on about? Is he this violent revolutionary who's going to take Take governments down? Is he against people simply because they're in positions of authority? Is he against people just because they have money in their bank account? Do people just because they don't have money in their bank account automatically get into the kingdom? No. No. He's not a violent revolutionary. He doesn't oppose people simply because they have authority. People don't get into the kingdom simply because they don't have money. Well then... Is this, is this some sort of metaphor, some kind of spiritual? It means like if people are spiritually poor, they, they, they need to spiritually humble themselves. And then that, that's who he is for. It's just kind of we spiritualize it. Well, no, that's not it either. It's not just simply, we don't just spiritualize it away. This is about real money and real power. So, so what does it, what? What is Mary saying will occur because of the Messiah? I think, for me, the key is in verse 51. The, the, the first line of this part of the song says, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. It's His arm. That answers it, right? His arm, there you go. Solves the whole thing. Okay. So, Mary, this whole song is steeped in allusions to Hebrew Scripture. I mean, the, every inch of it is steeped in this understanding of Hebrew Scriptures. And the arm, the arm of God, is, it's, it's, this is not the first time that it pops up in Scriptures. Do you know the first time that the arm of God shows up in the Hebrew Scriptures? The story of the Exodus. Exodus 6.6, 6, the first time we get mentioned to the arm of God. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. The Exodus, the story of God bringing His people out of slavery in Egypt, this is the, this is the picture in the Hebrew Scriptures of what it looks like when God rescues people. And this, this rescue of the people of, from slavery in Egypt, it was, it was spiritual rescue. It was spiritual rescue. They, they were in this place where everybody was worshiping these Egyptian idols. And God brought them out of that and he formed a covenant with them. He, he entered into a relationship with them. They were able to worship him and he taught them how to walk with God. It was a spiritual rescue. But it wasn't only or merely a spiritual rescue. It wasn't only that. It was also a physical rescue. They were physically enslaved. And because God, God stepped in, they were physically set free. 
It was an economic rescue. They were, they were impoverished in slavery in Egypt. But because God stepped in, they were brought into freedom and they are brought to this land of milk and honey. It was a political rescue. They were enslaved to these Egyptians. And then God brought them out to be a, a self-governed people under Him. I mean, it's the picture of the Exodus is what you might call holistic salvation. God, God delivers them in every aspect of what it means to be human. And so I think what Mary is recognizing, if the Messiah comes, if the Messiah comes to rescue, it'll be an Exodus-like rescue. He will deliver people, yes, spiritually, but also physically and economically. That's what it looks like when Jesus, when the Messiah and his kingdom show up in people's lives. Jesus is merciful to those who admit they need mercy. Jesus seeks the humble, those who lack power and honors them. Jesus cares for the physically hungry and feeds them. Jesus calls out arrogance hidden in human hearts and how that's an obstacle to God. Jesus calls out rulers who use their power for themselves without a thought to the powerless. Jesus calls out the rich who have hoarded their wealth and forgotten the hungry around them. And when, when, when Jesus and his kingdom land in a person's life, land in a family, land in a city, land in a country, it, it, the, Mary's saying this is what it looks like. There's a reversal that takes place. When his kingdom lands, the arrogant admit it. And they turn away from that and they humble themselves before the living God. When Jesus and his kingdom land in a place, they land in a neighborhood, they land in a circle of friends, those who have power let go of that and they stoop down on behalf of the powerless. When Jesus and his kingdom land in a place, the rich relate to their money differently and they let go of it on behalf of those who are hungry around them. Mary's saying, what does it look like when the Messiah and his kingdom break into a place? This is what it looks like. Exodus-like salvation. So Mary sings this new song of joy. The, the what is this new song of joy. The why is the long-awaited Messiah is coming. And the what is the Messiah bringing? The Messiah is bringing a great reversal. The kind of forgiveness and the kind of kingdom of justice that these, these people have been longing for and aching for. And then finally... The song ends with a promise. An allusion to a promise kept. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so Mary ties in the arrival of the Messiah to this long story of God interacting with his people that has been going on long before Jesus. And that we've talked about it before in Genesis 12. God comes to Abraham and God makes Abraham a promise. And he says, Abraham, from you will come a people and I will bless this people. And through your descendants, Abraham, I will bless all the people of the world. God had made a promise. And Mary says that the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, is God's keeping of that promise to be faithful to Abraham's descendants 
and to be faithful to bless all the world through them. God's keeping this promise, and it is kept in the arrival of the Messiah. So this song, if we're gonna if we're gonna summarize it, tie it all together, this song is this this new song of joy that Mary sings. It's a new song of joy that she sings because her, this nobody, is the one who bear, brings the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah into the world. This Messiah is one who turns the world upside down, bringing the, long, the long-awaited kind of Exodus-style salvation that people have been wanting. And this Messiah is God keeping his promise made centuries earlier to Abraham and his descendants. This is the song of joy that Mary sings. Now, the final question, I think, for us is what does this mean for you and I as we approach Christmas in Bellingham in 2016? What does this song written 2,000 years ago by this teenage girl, what does it mean for our lives today? Or is it just kind of an interesting piece of ancient literature to look at? Or might it speak into our lives here and now? For myself, I don't find it leading me to do anything. In terms of, when you look at this song, the focus of it isn't hey, I should go do this or do that, or I need to, here's a list of you know, things to get done. In fact, there's no kind of commands to go do anything. The, the, you could go through the whole song, and if you look at who is doing what, the subject and the action verbs are always, almost always about one person. Who's doing all the doing in this song? Well, listen, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The mighty one has done great things for me. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel. He has remembered to be merciful. He has kept his promise to our ancestors. The song is about a who, who has done something. That is the focus of the song. This series of teachings, we've, we've talked all about Mary, this mother of Jesus. And, 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 and when Luke presents Mary, he presents Mary as the one who, in some ways, is, is the ideal disciple. She is the one who responds rightly to the news of the birth of Messiah Jesus. It's kind of the way Luke has written it, he's kind of he's kind of saying, you want to know what you know want to know, know how to respond to the birth of Jesus? Look at Mary. Look at Mary. This is what it means to respond rightly to the news the Messiah is being born. And she doesn't run out and do certain things. She simply she she reflects on it. And she celebrates it. She's caught up in the awe and the joy of it. And she sings this new song of joy. Not not things for her to do, but because of what he has done. So I find myself invited to, along with Mary, to be 
to be awestruck again, to be surprised again, to reflect on who the real Jesus is, not some cartoon hallmark version of Jesus that I may have created, but this real Jesus, this surprising and dangerous Jesus. To be rejoicing in God because he has done this. So I think we are invited to follow this uneducated, rural, peasant teenage girl in how she celebrates God. So may we do that. This Christmas, may we, may we be captured again by the real Jesus, the Messiah that God has promised. And may we, along with Mary, find ourselves genuinely rejoicing because he has done it. Let's pray. Abba Father, Messiah Jesus, Holy Spirit, we, uh, we come before you and I, I confess at times that I have shrunk you down or domesticated you in my mind. Um, but God, you, you are the God who have made all things. You uphold all things. All things are destined to find their ultimate meaning in you. You are the God um, who uh, steps into human history to save and to rescue. And, um, and I'm awestruck by this. And, and I know my mind can't fully grasp even what it means. But may we, uh, Lord, this Christmas, would you, by your Spirit, open up in our minds a new sense of what it means that you have stepped into human history, that we could rightly respond in joyous song to you. Pray this by the power of your spirit. Amen.